Thank you, worship team, for that great time leading us in worship through song. Hebrews chapter 1, if you have your Bible, Hebrews chapter 1. I love you, church family. Grateful to be here today to worship our Lord together. I'm thankful for God stirring among us. I had a great time last week. God moved in this service. Things that happened last week cannot be manufactured by man. Those are moves of God. And I praise Him for it. And I desire for Him to move among us in a mighty way each time we meet. I pray that He is glorified and magnified every time we gather together to worship and in every work that we are doing for His glory and for His name. Let me share a couple of things with you this morning, uh, prayer needs, and just a couple of things that I want us to do. Last week, I shared with you that I do not want to be distracted from the mission that God has clearly given to our church as well as every church. And sometimes in the busyness of ministry and just things going on, and, uh, and even when we're under attack, uh, there are the temptations to be distracted and consumed with those things, and then to the neglect of the gospel advancement and and how last week I shared that with you and, and just confessed before you that you please hold me accountable. And I invited you to surrender with me to be a person that's focused on the gospel, that we want to take the gospel to our community, not be sidetracked for any reason because of that, because of any other thing going on around us. And so one of the things I want us to do, and I want to just share this with you today, and you'll be hearing more about this in the future, but... Uh, you know, we live in the 850 area code. And this is not, uh, yeah, ooh, for the 850. Uh, but, uh, and, and this is certainly not original with me. I've learned this from other people. But what I'd like to do is I would like for us uh, to take our area code, 850, and for us to, at each day, either at 850 in the morning or 850 at night, to pray for the people in our area code. Praying for... Um, gospel advancement here, for an openness to the gospel message, for God to work in lives and draw people to himself, and, and for us to get out of our comfort zones to proclaim the gospel. And so we take those moments to pray, 8.50 in the morning or 8.50 at night. I told the last service, many of them are already in bed by 8.50, so they're going to have to take the 8.50 a.m. time slot, but whichever one would work for you or even both. And we'll hear more about this Later, we'll try to help us remember to do that. And that just kind of keeps on our mind what we're here for. We want to advance the gospel of Jesus uh, in our region and also around the world. You know, one thing that uh, our church family does, we have a, a strong ministry in our region. We take the gospel to our region and also beyond. You know, our, our giving goes to support uh, literally thousands of missionaries in North America and around the world. It supports ministry we're doing right here. Uh, there are those of us who are involved in uh, prayer lives that we're praying strategically for the spread of the gospel. We pray for ministries within this church family. Uh, there's a lot going on that we're seeing take place among us, and I'm very grateful for what God is doing and just look forward to seeing Him continue to advance His kingdom through us. And so please keep that in mind. But let me give you another way in which we can be involved in gospel advancement. On April the 8th, our outdoor ministry will be doing a fishing tournament 
And if you've not registered for that, not signed up for that, please do so. I think, Scott, you're the contact person for that. Is that right? And so, Scott, would you raise your hand? You see Scott right there here on the front. Uh, see, see Scott about that. And, um, of course, you can call the church office and, uh, and also to get more information. Uh, there's, they're doing a fishing tournament on that day. And let me tell you something about this ministry. They do nothing without advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is a great opportunity not just to have a day where you go fishing, but you can take someone with you who don't know the Lord, and you take them to go fishing with you, but they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to be around believers. It's going to witness to them. There'll be a time when they, when they will share the gospel there. And so uh, pray for that event. Be involved in that event. Invite people to be a part of that event. That's another way in which we can get the gospel uh, to our region. And then in just a few short weeks is Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday is a, a good opportunity for us to invite someone to come to church with us. Maybe someone who's unchurched, uh, someone who does not know the Lord. Invite that person to come or persons to come with us to church. Pray for them. Pray for God to touch their hearts with the message of the gospel. And then, as a follow-up, we can just ask them, What do you think about today? What do you think about the message? Do you have any questions about the message? Let me ask you, the, the pastor said... Uh, you know, that everybody needs a relationship with Jesus. Do you have that? And it's just a way in which you, the door can be open for you to share the gospel. Now, in most people that we're going to see come to Christ, usually it's going to take a, a, you know, a, a time period. You're going to have to kind of invest in their lives, love them, pray for them, talk with them, be multiple conversations that you'll have with them about the gospel as God works in them and draws them to himself. And so that's just part, that's what we're called to do. Uh, we're to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's another way in which we can be about that by inviting them to Easter services. Now let me give you a prayer need for today and we'll, we'll pray and launch into our study. I want to give you an update on our Liberian mission team. They arrived safely there in Liberia and began ministry. Uh, Caleb sent word that the first morning that they awoke in the village... Their alarm clock was the orphan children singing to them. And he said that's the best way anybody can, can be awakened uh, in, in the morning. Is There's about 300 orphans in that orphanage. There's 700 children in the school, and they've been able to go into the school already and tell why they're there. So they've been able to do that. Uh, Caleb has actually been able to preach on several radio broadcasts to get the gospel out in that way. Uh, and then also... He's been able to preach in some churches, and they are taking the gospel uh, into uh, d different areas today. Matter of fact, in a different, in, out into the villages, they're going door to door uh, sharing the gospel. And so we want to pray for them, pray for their safety, pray for God's hand upon them as they spread the gospel uh, there. They're uh, scheduled to be back on Friday, so we want to pray for them as they have this ministry time and then as they travel back. Uh, the two from our church, of course, is Caleb Duncan and Dawson Trout. And we want to keep praying for them and then all the rest of them, uh, the part of our association and also Holmes County Association. There's about 11 of them on this trip. Well, there is 11. You don't get about. There is 11 of them on this trip. So pray for uh, God's continued hand upon that ministry. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be here today with my church family. It is... It is an incredible privilege to be here. I thank you for being with us in the last service. And now I pray, Lord God, that you will once again bless the preaching of your word. I can't do this on my own, Lord. I'm not here to impress anybody or 
be intimidated by anybody. I just want to be faithful to you, and I want to lift up Jesus. I desire, Lord, to present this message today the way you want it done, in your power and your strength. I can't do it without you. So please clothe me with Holy Spirit, ability, and power. And I ask you, Lord, to open the hearts and minds of all in this room and take away distractions. Help us, Lord, to be able to, to just be focused and not get distracted, but just, just focus in in these next moments as we hear from you. Lord, I pray again for you to help me. I can't do this without you. Glorify yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. This is message number two in the series as we study through the book of Hebrews. Now, last week we dealt with the first three verses, that great uh, prologue uh, to this book. It's one of those foundational passages that teaches us a lot about the Lord Jesus Christ. And there were seven things that we talked about from those verses that, uh, that let us know who the Lord Jesus is. Uh, the whole purpose of this book is for people to remain faithful to Jesus because He is superior above everything and everyone. Uh, this book is written to ethnic Jews who had given their lives to Jesus, and there was a temptation among some of them to want to walk away from their faith. And the reason is there was opposition that they were facing. It'd be easier for them to slip back into the life of Judaism what the writer of Hebrews is saying to them is this. Jesus is superior to Judaism. He is superior to angels. He is superior to Moses. He is superior to Joshua. He is superior to Aaron and the priesthood. He's superior to the sacrificial system. He is superior to the old covenant. He is greater than all. Do not walk away from Him. Hold fast to Him is the message of the book of Hebrews. And there's so much truth within uh, this letter that was written by the Holy Spirit through an unknown human author that had a connection with the apostles as we talked about last week. Today we're going to talk about how that Jesus is superior to angels. And there's an application point that came to my mind as I was studying this week, and I want us to focus in on this application point, and I'm going to draw it out from the study of this text as we interpret it and go through it. And here it is. Never put the good above the great. There might be a temptation for those Jews that had a real high view of angels to try and elevate angels even above Jesus. And even though angels are good, that is, elect angels are good, they are not great. Only Jesus is. And so what he's saying is don't put anything above Jesus, not angels even. These, these only created spiritual beings, you don't put them above Jesus because Jesus is superior to them. You know what happens with us sometimes? We put some things that are good and get involved in things that are good. They're good for our family. They're good for us personally, good for our community, good for others sometimes. I mean, they're good things. We begin to put those good things above the great one. And we end up neglecting Jesus and settling just for something good. Many years ago, I was in a conversation with a guy, and he was trying to sell me on the organization he was a part of. He wanted to recruit me to be a part of this group he was a part of. 
And so he just began to lay out all the benefits of being in there. Oh, it's a great brotherhood, you know, and we all take care of each other. And, and you know, you got a great benefit, you know, being in it. <clears throat> you, uh, you have that support system, and you do wholesome things that make an impact, uh, you know, in your community. It's just a good thing. Well, as he's telling me all this, I'm just prompted in my heart to start telling him about Jesus. And so I started telling him about a greater family to be a part of, a greater brotherhood and sisterhood to be a part of, uh, and a greater one and a greater work to be a part of, and that's when you give your life to Jesus. And, and he did not surrender his life to Jesus, and I did not surrender to his recruitment speech uh, either. But he was doing something he believed was very good, but to the extent that he was willing to walk away from what's really great. I don't want us to do that. And it can happen in our spiritual lives if we don't stay faithful to Jesus. So here's the text for today. Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 4. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again... I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But to the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak you will fold them up, and they will be changed." But you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Here's the main idea. Always keep what is great above what is good. Jesus Christ is the greatest of all time. Life must revolve around Him. There must be submission to Him. The Word of God says in verse 4 so that Jesus is so much better than the angels. And what the Word of God is saying again to these recipients is there is to be nothing or no one above Jesus because nothing or no one is superior to Him. So why does He start with angels? Why is it that he begins this elaborate and masterful, spirit-led, inspired argument with angels? Well, first, let's talk about angels for just a moment and their ministry. Angels are good. Angels are the only created spiritual beings. They were created before the heavens and the earth. They were created before us. So before we were ever created, the angels were. The Bible tells us in Job chapter 38... Verses 4 through 7, that uh, when God was creating, 
the angels were singing. They were worshiping him as he was creating uh, the, the universe. All angels were created good. God decreed that those angels would, be ha- would have the ability to choose. Uh, the same thing was decreed about human beings made in the image of God. God knew the decisions that would be made. He allowed those decisions to happen, and He has purpose for those decisions. Those fallen angels are now called demons. And these demons one day will be cast into the lake of fire where they will be punished forever for their rebellion against God. We don't really know how many angels there are, maybe trillions of angels. There are places in Daniel and Revelation that describe there being thousands and thousands and myriads upon myriads of angels. It's describing an uncountable number of them. Scripture tells us that a third of them rebelled. There was an archangel by the name of Lucifer, Satan, who rebelled against God, desiring to be in God's place, and he convinced a third of the angels to rebel with him, and it's that third of the angelic host that was created that are fallen angels, or what we call demons. They're opposing and working against the work of God in the world. Elect angels are good. And they have various purposes. It even appears from Scripture that there is a structured hierarchy among angels. We see angel appear in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24 after Adam and Eve had sinned. And the curse of sin had entered the world, had affected them, had affected all of creation. They were cast out of the garden and a cherubim, that's a type of angel, was set up at the entry to the garden to prevent re-entry, and the Word of God says there was a flaming sword. He bore a, slaving, a, 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 a flaming sword. Angels are on assignment. God dispatches them wherever He desires to. He also stations them. We see in the Word of God where He has angels stationed at certain places for a certain time period that will come. Angels are seen in the Scripture to be warriors and Protectors. In some way, angels battle with demons in the spiritual realm, and there is some effect upon the physical realm. We don't know all the details of that, but we just see some of these happening in Scripture. Daniel chapter 10 is one such place where Daniel is awaiting the arrival of a message from God. When an angel appears to him, the angel said that I... Uh, was hindered about 21 days from getting to you because uh, I was resisted by the prince of Persia. And that probably refers to a fallen angel, a powerful fallen angel that had some influence over that region. And there was some spiritual battle that was taking place. And the Scripture says, that angel said, that Michael was sent to assist him. And so that battle was won, so to speak, and this angel was able then to deliver this message. And so God, we know, is sovereign over all things, and He chooses to work in this way. And so they're involved in spiritual battles that have effect to some degree on what takes place here on earth. They're protectors. One of my favorite passages is 2 Kings chapter 6. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, the Syrians had decided they were going to attack Israel. So the king of Syria was going to come against the king of Israel. But Elisha was telling the king of Israel every move 
that the Syrian king was making. And the Syrian king said, look, there's a spy among us. We got to root out this spy. And one of his advisors said to him, no, there's no spy here. What's happening is the prophet Elisha is telling the king of Israel even what's spoken in your bedroom. So the king of Syria said, all right, what we'll do is we'll take Elisha into custody. And um, Elisha, the Bible says, was living up in Dothan. And so he's there in Dothan, and the, and the Scripture said that the angels surrounded the place where he was, and Elisha's servant was fearful. And so what Elisha did is he prayed what, for his servant to be able to see what he obviously could see, the, the spiritual perception he had, let him see this protection that was around them. And in 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 17, the Word of God says this, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That was an angel army surrounding uh, Elisha. Listen. No matter how outnumbered we may think we are on this earth, we're never really outnumbered. And by the way, all we need is God anyway, who is more powerful than any being on this earth could ever dream of being. There are angels on assignment all around us. Angels are used in judgment, the Scripture says. We see this when Sodom and Gomorrah came under the judgment of God. We see this in the book of Revelation where angels are part of the delivering of the wrath of God at the word of the Lord Jesus onto earth leading up to the second coming of Christ. Angels are ministers. They minister to the people of God. We know that angels were present during redemptive history as the Lord Jesus was um, incarnate and was born on earth. The Scripture teaches us that angels announced His arrival. The Word of God tells us that they ministered to, to the Lord Jesus during His earthly ministry. Matthew chapter 4, verse 11 says, After the temptation of Christ in the wilderness, that angels came and ministered to Him. They would have observed the cross. Matter of fact, Jesus said after Peter had tried to you know, fight against those who came after Jesus, don't, don't you know that I could call for legions of angels to come at this moment? And you know they observed the cross. And they were probably ready at any moment just waiting for God the Father to send any type of word. And they would have pounced on that measly band of soldiers and religious leaders and annihilated them in an instant. But that was not the plan of God. The plan of God was for the Lord Jesus to die to atone for the sins of the world. They were there at the resurrection. They were there... Uh, when he ascended to heaven, Acts chapter 1, verse 10 and 11 teach us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 lets us know that angels minister to those who inherit salvation. How comforting that is. One of my favorite examples of that is in Acts chapter 12. What happened there was James, the brother of John, was taken into custody and executed by King Herod. And then Herod, seeing that it pleased the Jews and desiring to gain political capital, he also arrested Peter and put him in prison, had him chained between guards. 
and the people of God, the early church, they gathered at John Mark's mama's house and they held a prayer meeting. And they began to cry out to the Lord. And what God did is He sent an angel and He went into that cell and He woke up Peter and the chains fell off of Peter and guards didn't wake up and He escorted them outside the prison. Gates opened up outside of the compound into the city to freedom where He went to John Mark's mama's house to join that prayer meeting. And so God sent an angel to release him from prison. And God used the prayers of the people of God to send that angel. Angels are all around us. I would imagine there are angels in this room right now. Now, we're not to be infatuated by that, but I imagine angels are here in this room. And I can imagine that when the people of God begin to humble themselves before God and we begin to cry out to Him and worship Him, I would imagine those angels being so at awe of God's redemptive plan, which they continually study and are curious about. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 says, They long to look into this relationship that we have with the one true God. And I can imagine as we humble ourselves before God and begin to worship the one who redeemed us from our sin, I would imagine those angels that are observing begin to just worship the Lord along with us. The Word of God says that when one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. The angels would be rejoicing in that time. They have a great ministry. Angels are seen as messengers. They announce things. Matter of fact, Galatians 3.19 says they were helpful in mediating the law of God. So in some way, they were mediating the law of God uh, from God to Moses. Acts 7.53 talks about this too. Hebrews 2.2 alludes to this, which is part of why he's talking about angels right off the bat, because what he's doing here is this. He is letting them know that if they listen to the word that came through angels, they better listen to the word who came through the Son. That's what he begins talking about in the first verses there of Hebrews chapter 2. In Jewish thought, angels were elevated, and they were uh, they were really infatuated by angels. Matter of fact, there were some in Judaism who even believed that God had a council of angels that He would, that he would uh, confer with before He made a decision. And that's very heretical because God knows everything. He is sovereign. He doesn't c consult with anybody about what He's going to do. He's going to do what He's going to do because He's perfect. But they had that type of high view of angels. So there needed to be an understanding. As good as angels are, they are not great. They are not who Jesus is. He is superior. And there are three things that are given in this text to show how that Jesus is superior to angels. And what the writer of Hebrews does is he uses the Old Testament to support this idea. Now, the Old Testament's our Scripture too, but it was certainly also the, the Jews' Scripture. So from their very own Scripture... He was going to show them how Jesus is superior to angels. Now, let me say to you a couple of things about the Old Testament before I move on. Romans 15.4 and 1 Corinthians 10.11 tell us that from the Old Testament, we learn things. We learn examples to follow and not to follow. We gain teaching from the Old Testament. But also, the Old Testament points to Jesus. And... 
from the very beginning, the book of Genesis, chapter 3 and verse 15, there is a, there is a tracing of redemptive history. There is a pointing to Jesus. The entire priesthood, the system of sacrifice and law, all of that was, the law was to show us, first of all, we can't save ourselves. The sacrificial system showed us we needed a, we needed a substitute to die on our behalf. All these things pointed to Jesus. Luke chapter 24 and verse 27, Luke records, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, as Jesus, expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Luke chapter 24, verse 44, Jesus said, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Points to Jesus. There are popular teachers today that say we must unhitch ourselves as Christians from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is still our Scripture. The Word of God says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And when that was written down, he was referring first of all to the Old Testament and then the apostolic writings that would come. The Old Testament points us to Jesus. So three things that he says here about Jesus. Number one, he is the Son. What makes him superior to angels? He is the Son. Now, verse 4 says he has a name uh, that's more excellent than angels. What is that name? Some believe it's the name Lord. Hebrews, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Someday, people who are alive right now, who've rejected Jesus Christ, will die, and at the moment of death, they will see their severe error in rejecting Christ. The moment of death will reveal that to them. But one day the Scripture says they're all going to stand before Jesus, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and following, they will give an account for their lives, they'll be judged for their sins and assigned to the lake of fire, and they will confess Jesus Christ, Lord, not to redemption, but in defeat. They will know He is Lord. But the name that's referred to here in Hebrews is not the name Lord. It is the name Son. Son makes Him equal with God. And the two Old Testament texts used here is Psalm 2, verse 7, and 2 Samuel chapter 7, and verse 14. And in chapter 2 of Psalm, Psalm 2, verse 7, the Word of God, notice in your Bible, look with me in verse 5. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Now let me just say something to you. Jesus has always existed. Do we know that? Y'all do your head like that. I want to make sure y'all are still awake because y'all have lost an hour of sleep and I don't want it to catch up to you. So y'all do your head like that. You with me? He's always been in existence. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is eternal. So we know that. But the Word of God says here, To which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Some will say, Well, that means when he was born and he came into being when he was born, they believe he was created 
Well, that's not so because he's God the Son. Matter of fact, the Lord Jesus himself even talked about in John chapter 17, he talked about the glory that he had with the Father before the foundation of the world. He's always existed because he is God the Son. So what does it mean that he's begotten? It speaks here about his incarnation. It's when he became man and he was born on this earth. But then a second thing it means is it speaks of his resurrection. How do I know that? Because the Apostle Paul used that in a sermon in Acts chapter 13 and verse 33. He used that psalm, quoted it, and, and used it to refer to the resurrection of Jesus. So the very fact that he was begotten speaks of his incarnation and his resurrection. It's two births, so to speak. Birth when he became man and birth at resurrection. It reminded me as I was studying this that those who are the sons and daughters of God have two births. We're born, and then we're born again. And so what the Lord is really emphasizing here in this text, uh, with this sonship relationship, He is stressing how the second person of the Trinity relates to the first person of the Trinity. So that's what He's teaching here. And so what He's saying is Jesus is God the Son, no angel can come to that level. This is what he's stressing. 2 Samuel 7, 14. It's Nathan the prophet's word to David, and there's a promise that there's going to be an eternal one who will sit on the throne of David. That's pointing to Jesus. Now, let me tell you what this means for us right now. There is no other religion. There is no other belief system there is no other worldview like true biblical Christianity. Absolutely none. God Himself, in the person of His Son, came to earth to save people made in His own image and to bring us to Him and give us eternal life. All the universe points to the evidence that God exists. And in Jesus Christ, that very Creator God is manifested to the world. And it is through Him that people can know the one true God. That's why we're challenged to receive Him. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, For as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God, even to them that believe on His name. We're to receive Him, and we're also to serve Him. John chapter 15 verse 9 and 10 tells us that we're to abide in the love of Christ. We do that by obeying His commands. We're to serve Him. We're to obey Him. We're to worship Him. There is no place anywhere in Scripture that says whether do that to angels. That's only for the Son. He is superior to angels because He's Son. But then secondly, He is superior to angels because He is preeminent. Verse 6 and 7. Now Psalm 89, 27 and Psalm 104, verse 4 is used in building this case. And what He's saying here is, that angels are not superior to Jesus, they are told to worship Him. They're called to worship Him. Now, listen, the Word of God tells us that no one's worthy of worship but God. And if angels are to worship Jesus, that means what? Say it louder, I can't hear you. He's brilliant. He's God. He's God. So He is to be worshipped. But then also notice in verse 7 that they are ministers, that they, they do what He says to do. 
Now, notice in verse 6, Jesus is called the firstborn. It's the Greek word prototakos. It does not mean necessarily time. It means position. What happens sometimes is in, in cults, they'll say, well, look here now. It says that Jesus was the firstborn. That means he was created. That means he's not God. Well, that's heretical false teaching is what that is. This word doesn't even really mean that. That, that word means that he is the chief one. He is in the preeminent place. Colossians 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So Jesus is to have the prominent place in all of our lives. He's to be first in everything, in our school, in our work, in our activities outside of the home, in our homes. Everything is to fall under the Lordship of Jesus Christ because the Word of God says in verse 18 of Colossians 1 that He is to be preeminent in all things. All things He's to be first place. Let me ask you this question. Angels are told to worship Him. Obviously, we're to worship Him. But can I ask this question this morning? When's the last time you've been in this room, in a service, and you, you could say, I truly worshiped the Lord? When's the last time you could say in your own private devotion time, I, I truly worshiped the Lord? I, I, in my everyday life, when could we say, I have died to what I wanted to do, and I have sought to obey the Lord? That's worship. Now, if we said in our minds, I don't remember the last time, can I say to you very gently today, that's no one's fault but your own. If I do not worship the Lord, it is no one's fault but my own. If I do not humble myself before Him and worship Him, it is my own fault. Are we serving Him? Are we using our gifts to build up the body of Christ, are we witnessing for Him as we're called to? He is preeminent. He's to be first place. He is superior to angels and everyone else for that matter. And finally, the third thing that's given here is, reason He's superior over angels is because He is the King of everything. He rules the, co the cosmos. Notice in verse 8 that he rules. This is from verse, or excuse me, from Psalm 45. It says, Your throne, O God, notice again he's called God, is forever. He's not just a great teacher, this Jesus we know. He's not just a prophet or some magnificent religious leader. He's God. He's got the Son. Your throne, O God. And notice, secondly, this kingdom is forever. You rule forever, it says here. In verse 8. Now, right now, the Lord Jesus Christ is ruling at the right hand of the Father. One day, there'll be a full consummation of His kingdom when He returns at His second coming, and He will rule the nations with a rod of iron. There is a, a final fulfillment of this, this kingship and this reign that He has. And that's why Psalm 110, verse 1 says, Sit at my right hand until... There's a final, he's sovereign now, reigning now. There's a final fulfillment at his second coming. 
He is ruler of an eternal kingdom. But then notice thirdly, he loves righteousness. He rules a righteous kingdom. His scepter is righteous. means his reign is righteous. But then also the Bible says he loves righteousness. And I'll tell you this, those of us who are saved, we ought to love righteousness. Jesus loves righteousness. That's right conduct, right morality, right conduct of life, right action of life, right priorities of life, everything lining up with what His Word says. That, that's loving righteousness. The Bible says we're to pursue that. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know why some of us in this room today are not filled? We're not really fulfilled in this life because we're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. People of God are to be, the Word of God says. Then finally, He is unchanging, verse 10 through 11. He will fold up the heavens one day. You know, many times we're just kind of chasing after what the world has to offer us. You know, we're just trying to be successful by the world's terms. And so we're, we're chasing after worldly wealth and prominence and whatever else we can get out there in the world. But I'm going to tell you something. If that's what you're doing, then we're living a futile life because one day the Bible says the Lord's going to fold up the heavens like a cloak. What will remain is His kingdom. You know what I know? The Scripture says that nothing is new under the sun. Human beings have the same problems they've had since our existence. It's just an endless cycle. But I will tell you this about life. It's full of change. You might as well get used to change. It's going to happen. And the older you get, the more you see change happen. I want to be like my daddy who says at nearly 85 years of age, he says, look, if you don't, if you don't change, get used to change, then you're not going to make it. You might as well just go ahead and do it. Uh, I got up and looked in the mirror this morning, and change has occurred <laughs> over the past few years. Things change. I remember the day my mother died. And I remember it was being bitterly cold outside. And I remember as the funeral home people were there, they, were, they, they got my mother on the little gurney thing, and they were taken out. And my brother Mark and I followed her out the door. Well, she wasn't really there. She's with the Lord. But her earthly remains followed her body out the door, and we sat there in the driveway as they placed her into the back of that SUV to take her away to the funeral home. And the funeral director that our families used for so many years back home in North Georgia, Earl Darby, was sitting there, and we were talking. And I watched the headlights drive out of, or the taillights drive up the driveway. And I felt a strange void. The very one who had given birth to me who had nurtured me all of my life, who had loved me sacrificially and unconditionally, had put uh, me above herself over and over again, had been an incredible example to me and a calming force in my life, was suddenly no longer on earth. And there was this void... But also, I was reminded of the unchanging nature of Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because of Jesus, 
I am part of an eternal family that will never be separated. I am part of an eternal kingdom that will not end. I have a hope that will not fade away in Jesus Christ. That is why, my brothers and sisters, Jesus is superior to angels. And the people of God must not put what is good above what is great, meaning Jesus. Angels were good, but they were not the greatest. What you and I must understand is we will never have the closeness the Lord desires us to have, will never use us the way He wants to use us until we stop putting what's good above the great. Reminds me of what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, when he talked about the fact that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And he goes on to say, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him despised the shame has sat down at the right hand of the Father, the throne of the Father. There are weights in your life and my life today. Some of it's good stuff, but we've let it weigh us down in our walk with God. It's become more important to us than the great one who should be preeminent in our lives, and that has to change. For some of us, it's family. Family never takes priority over Jesus Christ. Family is important and family is good. But family is not God. And sometimes we can take something that good and it can become preeminent. And it's not to be that way. And we even, by doing that, teach our children to put stuff and things and even family above Jesus. And that's detrimental to them. Sometimes it's our career. We think of our career as more important than Jesus. Sometimes it's financial stability. Sometimes it's our plans for uh, our family or our children or whatever. I'll tell you, our, our number one goal should be the advancement of their spiritual lives above all. Sometimes it's a desire to be liked. We just want to be accepted by people, and that becomes, that becomes preeminent in our lives. Sometimes we know that these sins that we know about, we shouldn't do because that's putting a sin before Jesus. But many of us take things that are just good and they become more important to us than Jesus. Last week I told you that I want to be sold out to advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we, we really have a good church because God's made us that way. And we can celebrate, you know, good music, we, you know, good children's ministry, good teachings, whatever, you know, good fellowship. We, we can say, you know, we, we have a good church, our programs are really good, and we can just kind of settle in at that if we want to. But I don't want to be just about being a, a good church. I want to be about the greatest. I want to be about the greatest God has for us in magnifying Him 
glorifying Him, making Him known to others. That's, that's what He desires of us. Maybe that's exactly what you want to. And today, why don't we pray that's exactly what happens with us. For some of us, we would say today that there's things we've got to get out of our lives. We've got to quit putting things above Jesus. We've got to quit letting things weigh us down, and we, we need to be sold out to Christ. And now's the time to do that. We can come to this altar. We, we can pour ourselves out before the Lord in confession and know that He forgives and He will fill us fresh today. And there could be some in this room and listening online, and you've never received Christ. You don't have a relationship with the one true God. Your life has never been changed by Him. But today you recognize your sin and how it separated you from God and you know you can't get to God on your own. You need Him to deliver you. And you believe that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again to be your substitute for sin. To be the one that pays your debt and you're willing today to turn from your sin and turn your life over to Jesus to be saved. As we stand to sing, I'm going to ask you to come to me and say, I want Jesus as my Savior. Let us just obey the Lord today and hit this altar area, do business with God, and put Him where He belongs. That's absolutely first. Heavenly Father, Lord God, oh Father, I pray right now for a move of God among us. Lord, we just need you to, to just speak to us and and I pray for us, Lord God, to surrender to you, uh, Lord, today and turn away from the lifestyles that we live so often that puts the good above the great. Lord, we've allowed a lot of things to become preeminent in our lives except for the Lord Jesus. And so I just pray today we humble ourselves before you and surrender to you and confess that. And I pray for people, Lord, today to know they, that they need to repent and turn to Christ to be saved. I pray for us, Lord, to pray and intercede this morning also that our church family will be one that advances the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ and we don't just settle for good but we want to be all you want us to be so I ask you now to have your way Holy Spirit I pray you'll move mightily in this place and I pray it all in Jesus name and for the glory of God Amen. Let's stand please